I mean, it's often difficult to get any parent, including mothers, engaged in a child protection process because obviously a lot of parents don't welcome social workers coming into their lives, understandably so. But the practitioners here spoke quite vividly about the extra difficulties they found with engaging the fathers who, who just didn't regard themselves, you know, as the traditional clients of social workers. And therefore, a lot of extra work had to be done to keep them there. When we don't engage with fathers in child protection and, and child services, we lead to the oppression of women. And then the focus becomes on the woman as the main carer, but also the protector. I think there's some things about men's experience, men's understanding themselves that does need challenging, both in terms of perhaps some behaviour that's not wanted or the behaviour that's often overlooked, that's actually helpful in, in, in developing safety plans going forward, for example. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AOCPP's podcast. I'm Steve Myers, and I'm a trustee of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. Today, I'll be talking to Lee Sobo-Allen and Professor Jonathan Scarfield about working with men and fathers in child protection and safeguarding. But before we get to the discussion, Jonathan Lee, could you give us some background of yourselves and your areas of research, please? Lee. Nice to meet you, everybody. My name is Lee Sobo-Allen. I'm currently a social work lecturer at the University. But I started off a social worker qualified in 1998 and went into predominantly child protection and then children with disabilities. And it was through this practice that I started to get my initial interest in working with fathers or the need to engage with fathers, mainly through the work around domestic violence and how we engage with fathers where there was incidents of domestic violence. Through practice, how we also became involved in West Yorkshire on domestic violence forums, uh, multidisciplinary forums, and again, it raised my awareness of the issues of, of fathers and men in families as well. I then came into academia and that interest perpetuated and I studied it through an MA childcare law degree and then more recently through a PhD um, looking at non-resident fathers and when we've placed children with non-resident fathers. So that's where I think my interest is, is sort of developed from practice and coming now to academia. And I teach it as well through different modules at different levels through universities as well, as well as conferences. Yeah, I, I share with Lee work in, uh, in Yorkshire and the, the coal fields, really. I spent a lot of my time in practice working with young people in trouble with the law and certainly facing issues around how we respond to young people, boys and, and young men, around issues of masculinity and negotiating their way through those, those local cultures. So that was a major part of my, my practice background. And I moved into working specifically with young people, mainly boys who were involved in uh, problematic sexual behaviour. And look at some of the issues around that for them and their, their notions of masculinity. So, yeah, share some of that practice background as well. Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit more about your areas of research? Thanks, Steve. So I've worked in Cardiff University now for 25 years. So I've been an academic a lot longer than I was ever a practitioner. I do have a social work background, though. My practice was in substance misuse and then probation. And actually, I did get interested in working with men through being in probation. It's very, very different from child and family settings, of course, because, you know, the predominant clientele are male and masculinity is very much wrapped up in the offending of the people you're working with. So I actually got interested in the relevance of masculinity to practice through being a probation officer. 
And then when I came to work in the university, well, the first piece of research I did was about gender, but as relating to child protection. But that interest very much came from my practice in probation. I also remember just at the end of my time in probation, working with a young man who had committed a very serious and unexplained offence against some children years earlier. And now there were child protection concerns because of his violence towards his partner. And then very quickly, the focus shifted onto scrutiny of her mothering, which I thought was puzzling and interesting. And I did then follow that through into the first piece of research I did when I went to university 25 years ago, which is to look at how social workers in a child protection team work with men and women. And then the research I've done over the years since then, I've done a whole range of different things, messed around a little bit. But I suppose in terms of working with men, the main focus has been fathers in, in a child and family context. Thanks, Jonathan. That was, that was really helpful. It's always interesting to hear people's journeys into um, how we engage with men and how we begin to think about that in terms of our practice. Uh, Lee, I think listeners would be really keen to hear some of the uh, themes from your, from your research, for example. Yeah, I'd like to pick up on a point that Jonathan made and as Jonathan's covered in his research was around when we don't engage with fathers in child protection and, and child services, we lead to the oppression of women and then the focus becomes on the woman as the main carer, but also the protector. And I think that was my interest on practice. I've reflected back on practice around where was the father in a lot of cases. We did deal with a lot of single mothers and single parents within social work practice. And we often, in social work practice, when I was practicing, if we look at removing a child or taking a child into care, we would often first look at female carers, aunties, grandparents or grandmothers. And I always wondered that my interest was around where non-resident fathers were at that time. So that's led me to where I am with my PhD at Cardiff at the moment, which is around looking at non-resident fathers, looking at their lives of non-resident fathers, what situation they find themselves in. But what I was in particularly interested in is, is where social workers have placed children with their non-resident fathers, where they've engaged with them and assess them and then place them in their care. So really looking at not just, not just the barriers, but also what works and what particularly about these fathers' lives, these fathers' motivations, and also the social workers as well. What particularly works for these social workers in assessing these fathers as permanent carers for their children? So that's where I've sort of moved on in terms of my research around non-resident fathers and their children. Yeah. No, thanks, Lee. That's, that's really interesting. You say about finding out what worked in working yeah. with fathers. I wonder if there's anything there that was beginning to come through about what was good, constructive, helpful practice with fathers. Yeah, I think part of it is looking at the fathers in terms of the care they provide and their observations about how they care for their children and their commitment. The commitment to the assessment, I think, was very important. One of the crucial things was that came out was the persistence and the commitment the fathers showed once they were engaged in the assessment, once a social worker had engaged with them, brought them on board, they were very committed. What was also crucial to some extent was when they were engaged with. Some of the fathers that were involved with their children having contact on a weekend or during the week and were on the scene, if social workers recognised that and engaged them very early on, it led to in these cases, quite successful assessments. So it's how they engage with them and when they engage with them, I think was, was quite crucial. 
And then another one was, you know, of the fathers I looked at, there were fathers that were had violent backgrounds. There was domestic violence with their partner. The social workers were able to see beyond that to some extent or understand it, take a, a more nuanced approach to that violence and work with the fathers during this assessment and, and see not beyond the violence, but to take into consideration that these fathers were also caring towards their children, if that, if that makes sense. So there's a number of things coming out, but I would say those are the, the stronger ones. That's a real hopeful observation, I think, Lee. Um, particularly picking up on that, that latter point about seeing men as possibly multifaceted rather than single identity. So that violent identity might sometimes be unhelpful in seeing some of the strengths and resources that those men may also have, as well as having that, if you like, propensity for violence or, yeah. or violent behaviour. And I think that sort of echoes some of the, the work that I did around young men who committed sexual offences, for example, who were, who were complicated in who they were, as, as we would actually expect in principle, in practice. Sometimes they were reduced simply to the unwanted behaviour. Jonathan, I'm just wondering if those observations, those emerging ideas that Lee's talked about, how do they resonate with your work as well? Yeah, certainly some connections, Steve. So I think my first piece of research I did was very much wanting to describe the problem of the lack of engagement of men. And then as the years went by, I found I wanted to take a little bit of a more positive stance on what could improve things. So I did a study where we put together you know, a fairly straightforward training program. Actually, you could say in some ways it was a little bit too simple as a workforce intervention, but we did a training program which consisted of awareness raising about the importance of working with fathers, plus some very skills-focused work on motivational interviewing with fathers specifically. And then we just followed up those social workers as to what, if anything, had changed in their practice. And according to the social worker's own self-report, it had improved their engagement of non-resident fathers. Unfortunately, it didn't make any difference to how likely they were to engage with men who were posing a risk to children. And, you know, that whole thing, risk is incredibly important to keep in mind. And many people have said, you know, Breesh, Featherstone and Marion Brandon, amongst others, when writing about this issue, that it shouldn't be a binary of men who you encounter in social work as fathers, service users, as either risk or resource, you know, just like you were saying and Lee a minute ago, that to see people in, in a very crude way as a kind of 100% victim or perpetrator is also probably not helpful. Yes, men do abuse power. There is a gendered power dimension. And we're talking about a lot of situations where there's very big power imbalances in families. But, you know, to understand what's going on there, you, you certainly need to take more of a kind of an intersectional approach and understand some of the challenges that that father has himself had in his life. So to ignore those and screen those out is probably not going to be helpful. Equally, to approach him simply, straightforwardly as, you know, as kind of a social victim and not acknowledge the way that his behaviour is causing considerable yeah. difficulties for his partner and others would also not be helpful. I could say more if you want me to walk along <laughs> a little bit more. Jonathan, that would be really good if you could, please. <laughs> I mean, the most recent studies I did were doing qualitative research, looking very much about two programs, two parenting programs, effectively, but they were both offered just for fathers. And in both cases, they were a kind of adaptations of programs that were also offered either just for mothers or for parents more generally. 
and I, I think what I picked up from those, so I'll talk about the two separately. The first one was Mellow Dads, part of the Mellow Parenting family of programmes. And I suppose the, the main lesson learned from that in terms of good practice was the extent to which the practitioners went above and beyond to keep those men involved. It was considerable work involved. I mean, it's often difficult to get any parent, including mothers, engaged in a child protection process, because obviously a lot of parents don't welcome social workers coming into their lives, understandably so. But the practitioners here spoke quite vividly about the extra difficulties they found with engaging the fathers who, who just didn't regard themselves you know, as the traditional clients of social workers. And therefore, a lot of extra work had to be done to keep them there. But also, they, I think we need to be realistic about change realistic about how much can be achieved given the extent of the problems that some people face, personal and social problems some people face. Now, the other parenting programme was a very different kind of thing, and it was specifically targeted at Muslim parents. And in this case, this was a father's course. So it was an adaptation of the Family Links nurturing programme, but specifically for Muslim parents. So the practitioner who was facilitating the group was a Muslim woman who had done a, a religious adaptation of the parenting program. And that was you know, very interesting to see how that worked. And it just, I suppose it highlights a kind of obvious point that, you know, we've got to think about diversity of fathers, many, many different types of diversity, because, you know, you can't bracket a large part of the population as if you need to approach them all in the same way, of course. And just one aspect of diversity is cultural and religious diversity. And this parenting program was absolutely targeting that cultural appropriateness of the, the parenting pitch. And, you know, we, we didn't follow it up in terms of a proper effectiveness study, but in terms of the acceptability to the father, that was very high. These fathers spoke very warmly and very positively about their experience of that program. Yeah, so it just highlights the importance of a, a kind of an intersectional approach where you are considering different kinds of diversity and inequalities that impact on the lives of the individuals that, that you're supporting. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting, Jonathan. I know people listening will be will be particularly reflecting on that around how we how we do engage with with notions of di- diversity and the, the realities of diversities in child protection. So thanks for that, uh, Lee. I'm just wondering if that issue around diversity and if you like diverse men and fathers was an issue in in research that you'd undertaken as well and or you practiced. Yeah, it raised in terms of from a socioeconomic background, um, the fathers in my study, I would say the intersectionality issues around intersectionality were, and were more around from a socioeconomic background. Fathers in my study from West Yorkshire were predominantly from white working class areas. But what I found is, is that my fathers, none of the fathers worked in terms of a regular income. A lot of fathers were on benefits. And one of the things I, want, I talked about in my study uh, and the impact of being a non-resident father was they often obviously left the family home. So they were often in, in rented accommodation and limited accommodation, which had an impact on their ability to have contact with their children as well. So I think that's where it sort of came in with my fathers is that they were on low income or on benefits as well, which limited their ability to care for their children and, and you know, it impact upon their assessment as well. Yeah. That's interesting because so there's a recognition of the impact of socioeconomic factors negatively on, on people's ability to parent, be they men or women, has, has been increasing over the last few years. Just wondering, from your perspective, Lee, what, what were some of the, the real impacts on, 
on those fathers of that social and economic deprivation in terms of engaging with child protective services? I think it was it was necessarily to do with engagement with social services. What I found is the fathers reflecting upon what they could provide their children. And what I found this this study is a lot of fathers talked in terms of intergenerational. And one of the things, the things that came out was about holidays and outings, strangely enough, was around that these fathers wanted, had, had been on holidays as children, had been to either in this country or abroad, and they wanted to provide the same for their children. They wanted to be providers as well as carers, but found it very difficult, very limited in that respect. Yeah, that was what I tended to find with their impact upon their fathering. And, and like I say, it's suitable accommodation. I had one father that needed to take the care or was assessed to take on the care of three children, but lived in a one-bedroom flat. In the end, the social services helped him with rehousing and, and it was successful. But I think it was that starting point of where they were starting once they were engaged with by social services. That's really interesting, Lee, because that sort of echoes, I think, Jonathan, some of the comments you made about your research and about you know, how social workers in particular engage with fathers as a lasting impact on, on the quality of the engagement. So I'm just wondering if we get, Jonathan, from your perspective and the research you did, what were almost, if you like, you know, helpful hints about, well, you know, what do you need to do to successfully maintain the engagement of fathers in, in services? So I think the practitioners in the one parenting program I was talking about were very, very proactive. So would proactively be contacting men before they were meant to come along, take part in the group, just to check that they were still coming. And they would do a lot of kind of, you know, metaphorically hand-holding and bolstering their motivation. I also did a survey of you know a few hundred practitioners working with fathers in a range of settings, but mostly I suppose we're talking about the family support arena here. And something that came up a lot from there was the use of, of a kind of a more practical way into relationships. So there's a risk of being stereotypical here, you know, because we don't want to assume that all fathers you encounter in social work are, are going to be you know very blokey blokes who want to want to do stuff rather than talk. But there is a sense in which the dominant socialisation of men is not to talk about personal stuff in the same way that it is the dominant socialisation for women, whereas women are very much, on the whole, brought up to expect to talk about personal stuff with friends, with friends and perhaps family. With men, I know I'm generalising a bit, but in general, that ain't the case. So one thing that a lot of projects and groups were using was some kind of practical activities as a way to kind of hook men in, if you like. It was more a case of, you know, doing things with your children or having a, a trip out and an, a day out with the children, as opposed to, you know, let's come together and talk about what it's like to be a dad. That tended not to be the way that they worked. I wouldn't say that that, that could never work, but, you know, I think there's something to learn from that kind of practice wisdom there that a more practical way and can be helpful, which is a little bit like the idea of the men's sheds movement, you know, which is about isolation and mental ill health and often often older men, where they deliberately use kind of practical craft and trade activities as a way to to hook men in. And then, you know, once they're in and doing things with their hands very often, 
then the personal stuff uh, and more personal talking will will probably come. But that's not the initial offer. The initial offer is, you know, come and hang out with some people and we're going to make some stuff or we're going to fix some stuff. I do think that's not going to work for everybody, but, you know, it will work for some men. I guess, you know, the key thing is do a proper assessment, get a sense of what this man is like and what he needs and what you think is going to work for him. So, of course, very tailored, but it's worth learning from the experience of, of some of those practitioners, I think, who found that practical tasks were helpful. That's really interesting, Jonathan, because I, I, as you're talking, it sort of, I've been around long enough to remember my early days in intermediate treatment in the 1980s, for example, working with, with young people in a close to care or custody. And they were very practical, activity-based approaches that we took. And that was about recognising where some of those young people, those boys, those young men were, and finding ways to develop that engagement and that discussion in a, in a way that was meaningful for them. So, yeah, that sort of has echoes for me in terms of my past practice. So thanks for that. Lee, in terms of yourself, I mean, how, how would you see uh, sort of successful, helpful hints for successfully yeah. working with men? I think from, from the study I've done, I would say the social workers in, in the study I found were a mixture of providing confidence to the fathers, but also a mixture of challenge as well, challenging the fathers through the assessment, because a number of the fathers didn't see themselves as the main carer for their children, and they never experienced it. Often they've been non-resident from the child's birth or had taken a very much a provider role when they were at home with the, with the child. So part of on their journey to becoming a permanent carer was a mixture of the social workers, and this is, I think, one of the things that worked, was providing them with the confidence to say, yes, you can do this, you can take on the care of the show, and showing them that, but also challenging them when they doubted themselves and said, well, this isn't my role. So I think that's what I found from a study, was, was that sort of, like I say, challenging the men's stereotypes of their role, but also giving them confidence and enabling them to some extent. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful way of, of describing it. I think there's some things about men's experience, men's understanding themselves that does need challenging, both in terms of perhaps some behaviour that's not wanted or the behaviour that's often overlooked that's actually helpful in, in, in developing safety plans going forward, for example. So that, that, that's really helpful. So, uh, Jonathan Lee, today is International Men's Day, and it's a day not only for celebrating the achievements of men, but also highlighting the issues facing men and boys. So, in terms of ideas for professionals going forward, what sort of advice, what sort of issues do you think are important from your perspectives for people to be thinking about going forward? Jonathan? The first thing, Steve, I'd want to say about International Men's Day, and the most important thing is it's my birthday. (laughs) So... um, this year, I will, be, I will be 55 on International Men's Day, so day to be celebrated. But more seriously, I think you know, it's important to bear in mind, for practitioners to bear in mind, that gender is very important, but it's not the only consideration. So a gender-first approach is not necessarily appropriate. There's lots of things that social workers would do more generally using more general generic social work skills and models that absolutely apply to work with men as well as work with women and so gender is not always it's certainly not the only thing you would think about however i do think the gender is always important i mean to hark back to what i was saying about the difference that the practitioners in in mellow dance found working with fathers 
you do need to keep in mind that we still live in a society that despite you know some social advances have some very starkly sometimes binary socialization of boys and girls into quite different ways of being from each other so gender is not the only thing that's going on there's a lot of other things going on as, as we've talked about today but gender is an important very important dimension to keep in mind so the importance of working with men is is absolutely there but it's not the only thing to think about thanks jonathan and uh, and happy birthday thank you uh, lee I think for me, it's, it's from, again, from my research and my experience in, in practice is for professionals to get understanding of the journey of men's lives in terms of understanding the temporal nature of, of the stages men move through. And, and I found this with, with the fathers in, you know, in my study is that the fathers in my study were looking back and looking forward. They were looking back at their own childhood, their own experiences of fathering and gender, but they were also looking at the present. But then looking at the future, you know, I like about perceived, a lot of them looked at guilt if they'd not come forward and, and, you know, what their child would have said to them in, in later life. And some of the fathers I work with, they've been through different, like I say, different journeys. And I think professionals need to start to understand those journeys these men have been on. And, and throughout their lives, I think that would give them better understanding. Lee and Jonathan, thanks ever so much. That's really helpful. And I, I'm sure listeners will appreciate your insights into that based on your extensive research. So really helpful. And of course, you'll both be at the next AOCPP conference on the 7th of July, 2022 next year, entitled Challenges and Opportunities, the Engagement and Assessment of Fathers in Child Safeguarding. Alongside yourselves, we've got keynote presentations and workshops from speakers, including Rich Featherstone, Errol Murray, and Anna Tarrant, just to name a few. We'll be releasing more details over the next few weeks. But Lee and Jonathan, if you could just indicate the topic that you'll be presenting on, that'd be really helpful. Lee. Um, my workshop will be looking at some of the findings from, from a PhD that I'm currently writing up around the engagement and assessment of non-resident fathers as permanent carers. But within that, I'll be looking at some of the, the challenges of being a non-resident father in terms of issues around loss and guilt and some of the, as I mentioned there, some of the economical challenges of, of being a non-resident father. So that's what my, my workshop will be looking at. Fantastic. And Jonathan? I'm going to talk about what do we know about what works with men? So I'm going to give a bit of an overview of the evidence base on effective practice, talk a bit about some of the limitations in that evidence base, but also try and come out with some positive messages about what seems to be emerging from the broader literature about what is helpful in working with men. And I will do a little bit of brushing up between now and then, so I'll make sure I'm bang up to date. But I'm probably quite not today, but I will be by then. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you both. And we look forward to uh, seeing you and hearing you at our exciting conference next year. Fantastic discussion today. Some really insightful points you've made. I'm sure every listener will take something away that's going to make them think. So thank you for that. For those of you who want to hear more about, about the work, you can put your tickets to our conference via the link in the show notes and on our website. If anyone wants to follow your work more closely, we'll provide the Twitter handles and contact details for, for Lee and Jonathan. Thank you both very much for uh, the podcast today and take care. And once again, happy birthday, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the AOCPP's podcast. If there are any specific topics you want to discuss in future episodes, email us at hello at aocpp.org.
www.ghostbusiness.org.uk and if you would like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals then visit our website at childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk Thank you.